Uh, my name is Gary. I'm one of the elders here, and thanks, Andy. You just did five minutes of my sermon. Um, well, these past weeks, I don't know, have you been sitting in your seat kind of squirming? As Josh and, and, and Andy and Jesse sort of talked to us about the ways of the world. These are seven character traits leading you straight to the path of hell. But we're going to shift uh, our emphasis moving towards eight character qualities that lead us to kingdom life, which are found in the Beatitudes. Our, our message today is going to be about being poor in spirit. Um, before we sort of talk about uh, the particular passage we're looking at in Matthew chapter 5, I would actually ask you if you have a Bible to turn to Matthew chapter 5 or if you're in the electronic world like I am, although today I'm using a Bible, your iPad or your phone there. And what I'd like to do is to give us a little bit of a background on where we're at uh, to this particular place where Jesus presents this sermon. So first, we find ourselves uh, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew 3, 13, which is a couple pages before Matthew 5, we find that Jesus goes to the Jordan River and asks John to baptize him. In verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. And John, of course, said, Wait a minute. <laughs> Uh, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus said, to fulfill all righteousness, I need to be baptized. And he was. And right after that, Jesus went to the desert and was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus had spent the time in the desert and conquered all of Satan's attempts to uh, attack him, um, he began, um, and it actually should be Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. So let's take a look at Matthew 12 and 13. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist was arrested and sent to prison, he withdrew into Galilee, which is where Jesus grew up, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in the city. He lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And if we take a picture, get a look at this, uh, this area that he's at. Um, next, move on to the next slide. Yeah, there we go. Um, this, is a gra- this is a picture of the hill that people believe, have believed for millennia, that Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so where we're looking is we're on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, looking northwest. And in the upper right side, you see that building there? That building is an eight-sided building um, called the Church of Beatitudes. It was actually built in 1938, but it's on top of the ruins of a fourth-century church where people believe that Jesus gave this message. And it has eight sides because what we'll be embarking on is uh, a discussion and a conversation about eight character qualities um, that lead to life. That's what the Beatitudes are. We're talking about the first of those qualities today. Um, 
blessed are the poor in spirit. The Sermon on the Mount, which is actually Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, um, are really likely the first full, complete, recorded sermon of Jesus. And um, at the beginning of that sermon is what we call the Beatitudes. So let's take a look at that. If you have your Bibles, um, I'm starting in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open our ears today, that you would soften our hearts, that you would allow us to hear your message about being poor in spirit, that you would help us be like our Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was the perfect example of being poor in spirit. Lord, we ask you guide us in this message today. We ask that you would speak and that we would hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So our charge is looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, and let me just highlight uh, a little bit about what we see in that section of Scripture before I actually get to the actual beatitude, blessed are the poor. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Well, we could see with the, the, the hill that was there, it was easy for a lot of people to come and go around Jesus and listen, and actually, usually during uh, the, the day Jesus was preaching, what rabbis did is they went and they sat down and they preached a sermon or they taught their disciples and the disciples stood all around them. So I'll sit and you guys can stand. And, no, we won't do that. But that's what you can see when, he's de- when Jesus was sitting, there's a bunch of people around him that, that people could hear. Also, Verse 2 is something that really is interesting to me. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, don't you normally open your mouth when you teach? Isn't that kind of obvious? And actually, if you have the New International Version or the New Living Translation, your verse will probably say something like, and he began to teach them. The actual Greek is, and he opened his mouth. And some of the commentators I was reading um, as I was studying, said they believed that, that, that w- this wasn't an idiom. This, this was something that Matthew wanted to put there because he wanted to make the point that many times we can preach the gospel. We can speak God's message without saying a word. In fact, one of my favorite saints 
uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who actually the city of San Francisco is uh, named after, said this. Do all you can to preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Jesus, through his ministry of supporting the poor, of healing the sick, of ministering to the afflicted and healing all and various kinds of diseases and casting out demons, was communicating a message without saying a word. And, I, and folks think that Matthew was trying to point out that the things that are going to follow, these beatitudes, these eight character qualities are something we shouldn't just talk about, but something we should live. So, each of these character qualities um, is something we should really take a look at. And they call this the Beatitudes, right? Well, what does Beatitude mean? By the way, I was really enjoying Andy's linguistic moment. Just for, for future reference, envelope, noun, envelope, verb. Just to let you know. Um, the linguist in me just can't let that go by. Anyway, um, Beatitude isn't be attitude. Oh, that's a really cool way of thinking about it, right? This is an attitude you should be like. That's actually not, not where the word came from. The word actually came from the Latin version of the Bible that was first translated from the original Greek in about 382 BC by a guy named, uh, AD, 382 AD by a guy named Jerome. And it's been used by the Catholic Church up until 1979. So when you look at the Latin in this section of scripture, blessed are is beati. That's the Latin word for blessed. So we've created beatitude to communicate that specific passage of scripture that represents being blessed. And when we look at the Beatitudes, what we notice, we'll see three kinds of things in all of them. They all have three parts. The first part is a blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That blessing followed by a character quality in this passage of scripture from, chapter, uh, from verse 3 to 12. There are eight of them. And then an outcome as a result of that particular character quality. So there's a blessing, there's a character quality that we should emulate, and then there's some outcome as a result of that character quality. So let's look at the first thing on our list here, of the blessing. Right? What, what does blessing or blessed mean? In English, that word is pregnant with understanding. It means a lot of things. You can say, I'm blessed with a good job. Well, that means financially or physically well provided for. He was blessed to be in the family. Well, that means good fortune and favor. What a blessed day it is. It's going to be a wonderful day today. That really has something to do with happy, joyous, or wonderful. The pastor blessed their marriage. Something holy or set apart. They said a blessing over the meal. A prayer. So the word blessed can mean lots of things in English. And in Greek, it doesn't mean all of that. They have several words for all of the things that I just said. 
The word that's actually used in this passage means, uh, as for, for blessing, means to be fortunate or happy or ha- one having great favor. Or you could interpret it as one who has great favor and joy bestowed upon them. Now, it's easier to say blessed as opposed to saying that. But you could really look at the Beatitudes and say, God shows his great favor and joy upon those who are poor in spirit, meek, etc. So blessed is, is a communication from Jesus about the, the greatness that God values these particular character qualities. The last part of sort of the equation of the Beatitudes is the outcome. And the outcome here for blessed are the poor in spirit is the kingdom of heaven. What is that? Does it mean that it's the end times? As, Jesus, as, as Andy said, does it mean at the end when Jesus comes? Is that what the kingdom of heaven means? Um, or does it mean something else? Actually, this word kingdom of heaven is used 31 times in the New Testament and all of it is used in the book of Matthew. Matthew also uses the the term kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. But you could do a whole sermon, probably several of them, but Andy's writing it down, on kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. But as Matthew used this term, what, what, did, what did he mean? Let's take a look at, at scripture and stay in the book of Matthew and sort of untangle what this idea of kingdom of heaven might actually mean. First, if you look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, which is just a page or on the same page as the Beatitudes, you'll see Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now. It's right here. It's at hand. It's right before us. If you look later in Matthew in chapter 25, you read the story of the ten virgins. The ten virgins is a parable about the end times. If you recall, there are ten virgins. virgins, Five of them had, all of them had lamps. Five of them had extra oil in case the bridegroom was late in coming. And indeed he was. And five virgins were not able to enter into the feast of the bridegroom. It's about the end times. So kingdom of heaven is about the present. Kingdom of heaven is about the future. And later in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus provides two parables about the value of the kingdom of heaven. One is a parable about hidden treasure. Jesus says that a man found a treasure in a field and he sold everything he had so he could buy the field to get the treasure. The next parable is about the pearl of great price, that a a man found a pearl that was so valuable that he sold everything he had to get the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is something of great value. So put together, we would say that the kingdom of heaven is a realm where God rules in the here and now and in the time to come. It is the fellowship of believers. It is the people of God now and for all eternity. That's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about in the first of these and actually the last of the Beatitudes. What does poor in spirit mean? 
Because this is sort of the, the character quality that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. What, is, what does that represent? I, I would have thought, you know, blessed are the rich in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual giants. Blessed are those who are like spiritually really cool. That's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The, the word in, in Greek that's actually used for poor in spirit really could be translated as beggar. Blessed are those who are beggars in spirit, who are destitute, those who ha- ex- ex- understand that they have great need. That's what blessed in the poor, or poor in the spirit represents. By the way, poor in the spirit doesn't mean self-loathing. It doesn't mean that you hate yourself. It doesn't mean that you are down on yourself. It doesn't mean that you're horrible. You walk around and go, I'm a, I'm a worm. Um, I, I said, I'm a, I was, the first service says, I'm a worm. And ask Colette, my wife, she'll tell you. She took issue with that comment. I don't know why that. Anyway, that's not what it means. Blessed, uh, poor in spirit does not mean you have less value about yourself. In fact, it means you have a really great value for yourself, but an even greater value for God. So what I'd like to do is to take a look at some examples of what poor in spirit means. A couple from the Old Testament and a couple from the New Testament. And I apologize, I'm going to have us bouncing around the Bible. But um, if you uh, have a moment, if you have a Bible in front of you, if you have an electronic Bible, it should be pretty easy. Turn to Numbers chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Fortunately, I have a little tab here. I can do that. So let's take a look at this passage in the Old Testament of uh, a, a little interaction between Miriam, Aaron, Moses, and God. Miriam and Aaron are Moses, Moses is, another linguistic thing, Moses is, Sister and brother. Starting at verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he married, he had married a Cushite woman. So he didn't marry a Jew. If you recall, Moses left Egypt because they were going after him and he, and he, and he spent 40 years out uh, and he married a Cushite woman. And his brother and sister were giving him a hard time about who he married. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And that Hebrew word for meek is also translated several times in the Old Testament in Hebrew as poor. So you could read, now the man Moses was very poor in spirit. But not only was he poor in spirit, more than anybody on the planet. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three then came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. 
I speak to him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. In Hebrew, that idiom in English would be face to face. Clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And what we find out a little later is that Miriam got leprosy for a week. Don't say bad things against Moses. Just FYI, in the future, just beware of saying bad things against Moses. Moses was the most humble. Moses was the poorest in spirit of anybody on the planet at that day. And he was able to speak with God face to face. Wow. Another example of poor in spirit from a great Old Testament saint is in Psalm 40. And the psalm, the, the scripture will be up on the screen if you wish. Verses 16 and 17. David is writing a song of deliverance. And he writes, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Same word or same derivative of the word that's used of Moses. But the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Poor in spirit, we know that we have two great saints in the Old Testament. Moses was the one who gave the law. David was the king, the greatest king of Israel and Jesus' lineage comes from David. For the Old Testament, poor in spirit means one who acknowledges the great love of God and their great need for his mercy. That's what the poor in spirit in the Old Testament were. These two great saints, they were not people who felt less of themselves. They felt much about God. We have some examples that Jesus provided us in the New Testament about what poor in spirit might look like. So again, I apologize if you go to Luke chapter 18, starting um, at verse 9. You may remember this parable that Jesus told. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And as probably most of you know, tax collectors were not high on the list of people that were warm and fuzzy and people like to talk to. They were people who collected the taxes of Rome. Not only did they collect the taxes of Rome, the way they made their livelihood is they collected more than what Rome wanted so they could live. Some of them collected a lot more. They were not regarded very highly. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I can almost see this Pharisee pointing to this guy just, just a little down from him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus is giving an example of what poor in spirit is not. This is not what poor in spirit means. Thinking of yourself more highly than other people. Not recognizing that you are in complete need of God. But what's interesting is Jesus, I think, gives us another example of what poor in spirit means right in the next passage. Starting at verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom, belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does he mean again? I think he's talking about this idea of being poor in spirit, having faith and dependence upon parents. That's the kind of character quality that Jesus is asking of us when he says poor in spirit. So how do we apply this? What, what, well, by the way, I, there's a, a, a pastor in the late uh, 19th, early 20th century named Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote this. He said, poor in spirit is not spiritually, a poor in spirit and spiritually poor are not the same thing. Okay, so poor in spirit does not equal spiritually poor. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Poor in spirit are spiritually rich. Um, the Pharisee was not poor in spirit. He was spiritually poor. So how can we apply this idea? How do we, how do we make this idea of poor in spirit real in our lives today? Recently, I've been reading uh, Francis Schaeffer, and if you haven't read Francis Schaeffer, I would highly recommend his books. Um, it's hard to classify what Francis Schaeffer was. He was an apologist, he was an evangelist, he was a philosopher, but he wrote a book called True Spirituality. And this is the quote that he has in True Spirituality, and I think it really applies today, and it really is, is a powerful claim. He says, the true Christian life, the true Christian life, true spirituality, does not mean that we have been born again. It must begin there, but it means much more than that. So what is the Christian calling? On the basis of this, it is a calling moment by moment to be dead to all things that we might be alive to God at this moment. And if I may take a little bit of poetic license, I would suggest that we could re-say that last Sentence. So what is the Christian calling on the basis of all of this? It is a calling moment by moment to be poor in spirit. That we might be alive to God at this moment. So how could we apply this? I'm going to offer three questions for you that you, I would urge you to think about this week that really apply to this idea of poor in spirit. First, are you willing to be poor in spirit? Have you surrendered to God? Have you recognized your great need for his mercy and forgiveness? You can 
Enter into the kingdom of heaven by asking God to forgive your sins and to turn your heart over to him. But also for us believers, are you willing to be poor in spirit? To the next question, what can you do today, right now, to live moment by moment in dependence upon God? What could you do? I would suggest, uh, and I was thinking about this, and there's just lots of things, and I ran across uh, a passage in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 16 to 22. And I won't go through that. I encourage you on your own to, to take a look at that passage, but there are three things that that passage, I thought, right at the beginning, get to this idea of dependence, moment-to-moment dependence upon God. That passage uh, starts out by saying, rejoice always. That word in Greek means forever, continually, all the time. Rejoice always. Do you know what the next one says? Pray without ceasing. Sometimes I've heard pray without ceasing, but no, it's pray without ceasing. And this is the kicker. The next one says, give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So rejoicing in what God provides, praying and and recognizing that we need God and giving thanks for God for anything that you you, you receive, even the bad things. And another question that I would suggest or have you think about How can you be an example of being poor in spirit to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to your family, to your neighbors, to your fellow workers, to to your community? Could being an example of being poor in spirit, raking leaves, helping others, doing the job, that menial task that no one has to do, that, that needs to be done, in my case, like cleaning the toilet. I don't like doing that. But, Is this something that God wants me to do? And here's one that's really hard for me. Maybe some of you as well. Letting others serve you. That's hard. That shows someone who is needing God's support from his family. So how would we summarize the first of these eight Beatitudes? The first of these eight character qualities that that Jesus is telling us that we need to look at. I mean, it's interesting that the first part of this long sermon that Jesus gave, probably the first full recorded sermon, the first, th- first part, the first of thing that he's asking us to be is poor in spirit. So let's sum- summarize. Let's say great favor and fortune has been bestowed upon those who recognize their desperate need for mercy and grace from God, for they dwell in the realm where God rules in the here and now and in the time to come. Being poor in spirit is not easy at all. In fact, it's one of the hardest things. Some of the the commentators I read as I was studying believe that the, the remaining seven Beatitudes hinge upon this first one, that is being poor in spirit. But... And it's a moment-by-moment thing. Being poor in spirit isn't something that you do once and you're done. 
at least it's never happened that way in my life. It's, it's something that you have to do moment by moment. And I'm telling you, I fall off the cart all the time. But it is something that Jesus starts out saying we need to be like to be in the kingdom of heaven. And it is what, what kingdom of heaven citizens do. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us learn how to be poor in spirit. Lord, that you would give us insight in what we should do. Father, I pray that you would help us just be willing to turn our hearts to you, to recognize that you are our source for all things. That could be through just giving thanks to you, rejoicing in what you provide, praying. It could be in helping others. It could be in letting others help us. Lord, we ask that you would show us and help us grow in this first of these great character qualities that Jesus outlines in the, in the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit. And Lord Father, it is in Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Let me give you this parting benediction. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. And I will also pray a blessing over you as we leave. Father, thank you for your word. Would you remove our fears and our anxieties and our worries? Would you give us the grace to see ourselves not as self-sufficient, but as poor and needy? and destitute, and dependent upon you, because that is the place in which we receive the kingdom and your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.